You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Izzy, and I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Australian tech industry, Artie Glassman from Zendesk, Ian Keenan from Data Agility, and Werner Spees from 460 Degrees. Today's panel are going to be discussing how to create a culture to attract and retain top talent. So before we begin, um, if everyone would like to give an introduction about themselves, that would be great. I'll kick things off. My name is Izzy. I'm part of Evolution's Australian team of recruitment consultants. I specialise in recruiting back-end engineers over the Sydney and Melbourne market. And I'm passionate about building lasting relationships with my clients and candidates, seeing teams thrive by connecting them with the right people. So, Werner, I'll, I'll shoot over to you. Yeah, thanks, Izzy. Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Um, I'm Werner Spies. I'm the founder and managing director of uh, 460 Degrees. Um, historically, my interest and uh, where I come from is uh, my background is professional services, uh, specifically startups, build startups, found them and sell them eventually or unlock them. Um, this, this venture started back in 2004 and uh, various iterations of it. And in 2016 or 2017, we launched uh, 460 Degrees as the first expert management agency. Um, our whole goal is and, uh, my my why is empowering genius, um, and that is taking experts that most probably have a passion for their craft of delivering good outcomes for customers to help them actually build practice and build business around it. And uh, we exclusively manage and represent these experts um, and um, help clients actually transform in this digital world of ours. That's me. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Werner. Um, Ian? Uh, thanks, Izzy. Um, and thanks again for the invite to participate. Um, so I'm Ian. Uh, I'm a director here at Data Agility, which is an Australian-based um, uh, data services and products firm. Um, our sort of mantra is about helping organisations manage and apply their data. Uh, this week, we're actually celebrating our 19th birthday, which is a great thrill for everybody. Uh, it's been great to be to get back together again um, after the uh, extensive lockdowns that much of Australia has been through. So that's been great. Uh, prior to joining Data Agility, I was an executive at the ANZ, and prior to that, I worked um, for uh, very large consulting firms. Thank you very much, Ian. Adi? Hey, Izzy, and thanks for having me in your podcast. Uh, I'm Adi Glassman. I'm a senior director of engineering at Zendesk. Uh, Zenith is a global company with offices all over the world. Um, I'm working in the Melbourne office. I uh, have been in generally in the in tech industry for you know over 20 years. Um, my role at Zendesk is uh, focused in engineering. At Zendesk, we create we created an organization that is named Foundation, with a mission to create processes and tools for Zendesk engineering teams. Uh, basically, build beautiful, simple solutions that are useful and effective and easy to use. Uh, I'm leading the storage area, which consists of databases and also event streaming technologies. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adi. Thank you all. Um, so everyone has prepared a question that they want to have a focus on um, relating to the topic. 
Um, so Werner, I'll get you to kick things off again. Um, yeah, thanks, um, Izzy. My question um, was actually based around what are we doing and what are organisations doing um, in providing a um, psychologically safe environment and with a core emphasis on on inclusivity, um, which is fairly relevant in this day and age. And um, looking at today's announcement of the lowest unemployment rate in Australia of, I think, 4%, which is the equal lowest it's ever been. Um, talent is hard to find. Good people are hard to find. Um, so we need to think outside of the box. And I think to attract and retain clients, we also need to provide an environment that is attractive to them. So I don't know if you want me to expand a little bit more about what we do in providing a psychologically safe environment. Uh, should I continue on that trend? Yeah, I reckon. Let's get your, cool. your hot take and then we'll switch to the others. So if we talk about um, diversity and actually our, we've as an organisation, we've taken it to the next level, which is actually we call ourselves a, a neuro-inclusive environment. So um, firstly, what, what is, what is um, uh, a neurodiversity? people mean or neurodiversity mean. Uh, so you get neurotypical people, which is the norm, you know, and then you get neurodiverse people, which is includes anything from LGBTQIA plus, um, but also people that's on the spectrum. Um, and that is something that we've got a lot of interest in, because if you think about expertise, um, and especially expertise in emerging technologies and, and, and this very fast-moving world of ours, um, you, get, you get various types of individuals that need to work inclusively in an inclusive environment. Um, but for those that's neurodiverse, it can be sometimes confronting because they have different traits and, and they are, for instance, hyper-focused. They could be very, um, you know, averse against noises, right? So you have to provide an environment where you have to be inclusive. You have to create awareness that, um, you know, people are not necessarily strange because they just want to be fun or stupid or idiots, uh, they are just neurodiverse, right? So how do you create this neuroinclusive environment and how do you provide a safe, psychologically safe place for them? Um, and why is that important for us um, other than just doing the right thing? It is important for us because in this talent short market and in this market where expertise are really in demand. A lot of experts are actually hyper-focused neurodiverse individuals, right? Um, and how do you unlock their genius? Um, because they are so narrow in their focus, but they are really good in what they do. So to attract them and to get the best out of them, it is really key for us to create that environment um, in, in, in a very competitive, talent-competitive world um, where people are short and skills are short. Um, so that is for us a little niche where we call ourselves as, as, as being neuro-inclusive. 
Um, and if we provide that environment, even from an office environment and create that awareness with all our people and staff, uh, you get that harmony where people actually feel safe. Um, where in the typical uh, office environment, neurodiverse people, to a certain extent, will not always feel safe. And um, not because the environment does not um, want to be malicious or not friendly or is aggressive. It is a matter of understanding and not understanding what uh, what's important and what are the drivers for neurodiverse people? Because majority of people are just neurotypical and think, oh well, we we can all work in a in an open office and we all get the same noises. So what what's going on with you? Now? What's your problem? Are you just bloody difficult um, because you are noise sensitive? So it is it is more than just it's creating the awareness of understanding that certain people are wired differently. Um, and once you create that environment, that's what I mean as a psychologically safe environment. Less judgment, but more understanding, and more understanding that people are neurodiverse. Not everybody's neuro neurotypical, and therefore you create a neuroinclusive environment. There's a lot of words that I've used there. I hope it, I explain myself, but it is all about psychological safety. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you said about unlocking their genius. Um, we chatted a little bit about how people who are neurodiverse might not necessarily make it past a um, a consultancy interview stage um, just because there are slight differences, but companies could potentially be missing out on massive, massive talent um, if they can't look past that. Um, so, Adi, did you have anything to um, add or, or how Zendesk handles that? First of all, I think, you know, um, diversity, equity and inclusion is a big topic uh, that has been around for years now. Uh, Zendesk has embraced and is working on this, um, I would say, on a day to day basis. Uh, it's a topic for every conversation. And if, you know, the topic of this podcast is talent and attracting talent, um, one of the biggest thing and the main thing that you need to do uh, when you start uh, sourcing talent is make sure that everything is inclusive and everything uh, you, you're putting on the lenses of of diversity, equity and inclusion, and it must be measured and understood all over the company. So I wanted to quote uh, Mikkel Sven, the CEO of Zendesk, uh, and I'm quoting, we're being very deliberate about building a diverse and creative company where all employees feel empowered and comfortable being their authentic selves. It's 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 a it's a really strong uh, statement, but you know, under the hood, you know, when you open the bonnet and you look inside, we are working around like I wouldn't say around the clock, but we are always thinking about this. So, the way to tackle this, I would say, is through training, training, and making sure that the knowledge and understanding is propagated across all leadership in the organization. Um, so, education on racism, equity, and privileges, like for last year, almost 90% of the people managers completed a session exploring racism, equity, and privilege. Uh, they also, you know, walked away with practical tools, you know, uh, to put into, into practice. Uh, we have what we call Illuminate Leadership Program, 
So it's an early career team lead, leaders and managers explore their own unconscious bias in this quarterly leadership program. And the program covers like leadership mindset, giving feedback, coaching techniques, new leader onboarding um, all new people managers are enrolled in a program to help them understand support and create culture of belonging by exploring uh, you know uh, diversity equity and inclusion from leadership lens um, we look at uh, talent sourcing we look at um, one of the things that we're doing inside is that for every position we, 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 we kind of force uh, interviewing women into any position that we have. We want that, you know, in every position. We want to give the chance for everyone, not just the gender, obviously. Uh, and it's a really, really important piece at Zendesk. And we measure things and we make sure that it's in, it, I wouldn't say enforced, but I would say it's understood across the company. The company is global. The company has offices in a lot of city, cities in the world and a lot of cultures and uh, views. Um, so I think it will refer to um, maybe the next uh, section that we'll talk about, but building culture is something that you must consider like a DEI in, in building your culture. So that's awesome. me. Good to hear that Zendesk really tackles it from, from every angle. Um, Ian, how does how do you go about this at Data Agility? Um, it's it's one of the, uh, I think um, Vinarati have already uh, touched on it. It's really a leadership matter. Um, now I wouldn't have joined Data Agility if I didn't have confidence that the managing director had a set of values which um, included the, uh, the, the the matters of diversity which have, have been just dis discussed. The thing which, so, you know, if you, you know, if you're talking about people from all, you know, we're an Australian headquartered firm, we work in Australia, we do sell services and products overseas. We're an Australian firm and we do have people from all over the world, from all sorts of religions, all sorts of ethnic groups. We have, a, you know, very vibrant um, uh, view of um, uh, people's sexuality and the, and the diversity along those lines. We're actually working with people who are going through uh, gender transition. So you know, that's 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 actually a really interesting topic because not everybody in the firm is comfortable with that, um, but you've got to find a way to uh, allow, allow them to express their discomfort and stuff while supporting the the, the staff of the firm. So I think we've, we've we've covered those things well. I think one of the things that we have become much more aware of and much better at over the course of the last five years is this um, the point that was made about people who are hyper focused. I think we've we've become much much better at that. I'm, I was talking to one of the lads this morning, and he was he's been with us um, four and a half years, and he's what you would call a hyper focused guy. Uh, and he's just having he's just his career is um, just blooming. He's, um, he's 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 expanded his capability, he's expanded expanded his responsibilities, and he's done that in the context of an organisation that understands him and understands him well. And we're now getting to a point where. Not, and, it, and it's kind of almost to do with our response to the pandemic, where we're having to be more responsive to people's um, circumstances overall. Um, but we're becoming much more responsive to people's um, intell uh, emotional and intellectual ability to come to work. So they might not be able to do a standard day's work every day of the week. And we're becoming much more responsive to that setting. And what, sometimes that's a, because of um, 
you know, personal matters, domestic matters, but sometimes it is to do with this hypersensitive um, setting that they find themselves with. And we're becoming much, much better at that. I don't suggest we've, um, we've nailed it by any means, but we've become much more aware of it and we're getting much better at it. Awesome. That's a great insight. Thank you, Ian. So I think that ties in really well to um, the question you brought to the table. Um, if you want to share that one, I think that's going to open up a really great can of worms. Yeah, well, that was my intention with the question. It is, it is a can of mm. worms question, but you know, you know the, the headline for your your piece was was around culture and attracting talent and retaining it. And then the, the point that I wanted to ask was was when it comes down to it, how important is culture? You know, is it awesome. is it important of itself? Is it important in the context of other, uh, of a of a variety of matters? Um, and I wouldn't mind just throw, I mean, I'm happy to make a make a contribution, but I wouldn't mind hearing other people's point of view points of view, and then maybe I might um, re um, react, react or respond to that. Yeah, perfect. Werner, <laughs> do you want to kick things off? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Ian, I must say. Um, you know, I, I think especially after COVID and, and where we've, well, you know, our business has always been a very dispersed workforce. So, you know, if you think culture, it's always you walk in the office and you get this bus. Well, that disappeared because you don't have an office anymore, <laughs> mostly. Um, so so now you get to the grunt of, of what culture is and you get down to values and all those type of things. So it is it is a very interesting and an intriguing question if you think about the topic of culture. However, I want to make the statement, I still have that old conservative Jack Welch approach, right? Um, and, and, and what did he always say? You know, you get the guy that um, uh, really um, doesn't really perform, but he fit the culture. What do you do with that person? Well, you give him a second chance, right? Obviously, the guy that's a high performer and uh, fits the culture, that's the guy that you promote. And then what do you do with a guy that performs, but he doesn't fit the culture? Well, you move him out of the organization <laughs> because people that don't fit the cultures actually hire maintenance um, and actually, you know, causes more damage along the road. So on that topic, I think culture is really important. And I still believe that um, if you have people in the organization that fight the culture, and what I mean by that is fight the values that the company stand for, it is dangerous. It's not a good thing. You know, so um, I, I, I think culture is very important. However, culture, culture need to be inclusive, right? It needs to embrace um, inclusivity and, and, and all those values that we stand for. Um, so, so that makes it, a, makes it a hard topic, but I still have the point of view, whatever the cultures and whatever, more importantly, whatever the values are that the company stand for, they have to embrace. And, uh, and even if there's high performance that fight against the values, I don't think that that's a good thing. And I think that's where culture is more important than performance. That makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> tough decisions, Thanks, though, very tough decisions, especially <laughs> for a small company like ours. <laughs> <laughs> I think we chatted about it um, a couple of weeks ago. So you can you can mould and upscale people, but you can't necessarily teach a good attitude. Mm -hmm. Adi, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, th the question is basically how important is culture? Um, and when I think, you know, about the company culture, it, it, it comes to mind 
you know, what comes to my mind is basically how I feel every day at work, right? Do I understand the company vision, like the mission and values? Uh, do people actually walk the talk? Like, it's great, like, to read mission statements and and but values, etc. But it's crucial that the definition will be followed, starting from the top. I think that's what exactly what Ian said previously. You know, um, the company leadership needs to embrace and show leaders' example. Um, the biggest impact that you know we can have as a company is a company where the leaders are representing and like the mirror of of the company ethos. Um, there's a lot of successful companies like Amazon, Salesforce, uh, Zendesk, obviously, um, that have reading values uh, on the website. So one of the biggest thing as a, as as a, someone that is looking for work, you know, uh, one of the biggest thing that you do, you actually go to the company's websites and you check the company mission, values and statements. And you feel and you try to see if you're, there's any correlation to what you feel and to the company statements and that's one of the things that is happening immediately um, interesting as you know as i was reading a little bit about this topic um 77 of, of uh, workers consider the company culture before applying and almost half of the employees would leave their current job for a lower paying opportunity at an org with a better culture um so by the way this statistic is coming from glassdoor uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of us are checking glass doors when they want to check even their company image outside and when applying to other companies, you want to check what other people are thinking. So there's a lot of uh, views and ideas and things that you can capture in Glassdoor, obviously. Um, the culture of an org is also one of the top indicators of employee satisfaction. You know, one of the main reasons that almost two-thirds, like 65% of employees stay in their job. Again, all this information is from a survey run in Glassdoor about, you know, their, it's their business. So uh, identifying, defining, and maintaining culture needs to come from the top. Uh, it needs to be very clear. It needs to be very understood. Like if you read Amazon's uh, top values, a uh, very successful company, you can immediately relate to that like they're talking about their customers obsession they're, they're talking about the employees um everything is about culture uh thinking about covid what we had to deal with in covid like uh, uh companies that embraced company that gave space companies that uh, gave a little bit of uh, uh, money uh, that can be expensed to buy office equipment to people um it's a culture like it's something that the, the leaders are willing to spend on money and people are buying and using and it's a safe place to be in. Um, so I think culture plays a major role in a company and and the best thing is to see the leadership follow the culture, uh, lead by example. Perfect. It's definitely interesting to hear those exact numbers. Um, Ian, I'm, I'm very keen to hear your input. So I think what Werner and Ali have said, I think is, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with what, what they've said. I think that I think the culture thing, I think one of the issues that has been a really interesting thing for our firm and, you know, for, as Eddie indicated, everybody really has been trying to maintain your culture um, during the last couple of years. I think that's been a really big challenge. Um, it refers back to the question that uh, Werner posed to us as well about the, you know, the, the health and well-being of, of, of people. Um, so you're trying to keep people well, you're trying to keep them um, healthy you're trying to keep them productive 
and you're trying to keep people aligned with the culture of the organization. And as you say, you can go and read about it on the website. You know, it's right there. You can go and read it. Um, but when you're trying to maintain it over, over um, what is now, you know, a distributed workforce and a remote workforce, that, that has been a big challenge as well. Um, but I do think it's fundamental to organizational success. And I do think it's fundamental to both retention. We have a terrific retention rate, but also acquisition of, of talent as well. They want to have, as uh, both Werner and Ali said, they want to, you know, have something they can believe in that aligns to their values. So they, you know, we've used a variety of techniques for doing that. One of the things we've done is put videos on our website of the staff. You know, there's not huge, hundreds of them, there's maybe a dozen or so, but gives you an idea about their experience for working with this firm. It doesn't tell you about, you know, so much about their job as about their their actual experience about working for the firm and why they why, why they would use their talents here. Um, so that's important. But I don't think you can also ignore the other side of the coin, such as remuneration, you know, promotion prospects, job growth prospects, all those things. I think really those are really important as well. So one of the things that we think is that while we do believe we have a strong culture, we do they are, they are premised on well understood and collectively shared values. You've got to evolve as well. You can't you can't stand still. You've got to be able to shift your your business, your business model, your thinking um, as as society and um, the workplace evolves. And that's that's one of the key challenges of our time, if you like, um, which plays into this whole business around retaining and um, uh, attracting staff. That, that evolution is a very important part of it, as, as well as the base that you come from. Brilliant. Brilliant to hear how you're towing the line between them. Werner, was there something you wanted to add? Sorry. I, I wanted, I want to, yes, because I don't have the answer yet, to be quite honest. And um, it is, you know, especially an organization like ours, which is which is in the services, professional services, consulting environment. Um, our business is a high touch organization, right? So even even our sales is relationship based, um, and 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 onboarding new staff and finding new experts. It's all it's all based on relationships. And our culture was always high touch. And what I mean by that, in-person meetings, um, and it's very hard to, it, it's great to, once you have the relationships, online is okay. You know, you can have your virtual coffee catch-ups and all those type of things, no problem at all. But I really feel for, you know, young graduates and people that come out of fresh out of uni uh, that join organizations and, 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 and can't have that high touch office environment of, 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 you know, hooking up with their leader, their manager, learning from others and having that close com community. And I really don't have, have the answer for it. I, 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 luckily, we're not in an environment where we have a big graduate uh, program, uh, but but we still onboard a lot of new people and it is hard because... Yeah, and further to that, we found... Know, we found we, 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 we know, traditionally we, we, are high touch. We've been onboarding people, you know, as we as you'd expect, right through the process, and it has been one of the toughest yeah. things. I think it's really tough, as you say, for young people coming mm. into the into a workplace, coming into a workforce. Um, uh, you know, we've got you know very high caliber, well trained and managers who deliver really well, but it's damn hard nonetheless. You've really got to really got to put a lot of focus into it. And I think that was Arnie was indicating earlier on that they just put a tremendous amount of focus into it. I, I, I just sorry, and I, I just make make one more point on that. Our managers put an, an enormous amount of focus on it, and we recognise that that in itself is a cost to them. 
they're just the, the extra effort of, mm. you know just doing the things which some of the things are very formal they need to be you know people need to be taught how to complete a task or an activity or something like that but some of it's informal and the way we do things around here which you kind of learn at somebody's knee or in the coffee coffee room or wherever it might be and they're trying to do that um in, on a, well they have been doing it in a remote setting increasingly back in a, um, a hybrid setting now but that, that mm. can't, we can't um, overlook the uh, the, the energy and so forth that the management uh, team have had to put into doing to doing that as well. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, we, we, we do exactly the same. And it actually starts with me where I, with all the experts, and, you know, we have an expert journey. And for each expert, we have a unique uh, individual plan. Um, mm. So we embrace uniqueness. So, And I actually go through with each new expert on a why, how, what journey. Um, which is one-on-one, -on -one, virtually, but um, and, well, it could be in person now, but in the last two years, it was virtually. So at least at least that, that goes in very deep and personal on what the person wants to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that really helped and contributed to us building a closer relationship to understand what, what, what drives the individual and how can we, can we support them in achieving their personal whys. Um, but but it is a lot of time and effort uh, from both parties. But I think um, it did work. Uh, but you have to do it because you don't have the office environment where you just have a uh, you know chat at the water cooler or or, or, or in the kitchen or wherever. <laughs> you guys cooler. have all had to. <laughs> you guys have all had to adapt um, pretty quickly. <laughs> but it sounds like you've you've all managed to do so pretty well. Um, last but not least, Adi, your question. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take you to a different journey right now. So we kind of talked about uh, the company culture, attracting talent. Now we're going to talk a little bit about maintaining talent. So you've got your engineers, you know, they're up and running. You've, you've uh, trained them. Um, they're up and working. Um, it's, it's all good. Um, and now I am, I'm coming from an engineering standpoint. So we are talking about engineers, people that are, I would assume, you know, very smart, uh, went to uni, have degrees and, um, they work for a challenge besides the obvious uh, compensation. They like challenges. Um, they come every day for challenges in the company, obviously. Um, the, the, as the company evolves and produces products these products are going to cycles and the cycle will be, uh, for example, it's live, it's GA, uh, customers are using it and now it's just support mode. We have finished the development, heavy lifting is done and now we have to support it. Um, so we have these same engineers that have developed the product and that now needs to devote time to maintain, support the product versus developing new features and new products um for other things that the company wants to execute um so my question to you gentlemen is how do you maintain the current talent pool with these challenges where you basically have to feed the brain of the smart engineers with challenges versus keeping them supporting uh, the existing uh, ga uh, products which uh, some, you know, suddenly it seems like a boring and not very attractive task. Mm. Who'd like to kick us off? 
I'm happy to go. Um, and and I, I, I will call it out that I'm not an expert in a product in a product company, right? So we 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 are consulting business, and as you would know, Adi, I think you will know that uh, a product company is very different to a consulting company, and, and to confuse the two, it's actually totally different environments. Um, but saying that, your your problem is relevant in in any company, right? So in our environment, you get interesting projects and you get less interesting projects, right? And experts obviously are seeking for the most challenging and meaningful work um, and, and and projects out there. But you know, you're not they're not always available. So sometimes it's just your standard boring old projects that you have to do. So it is a very good question. Um, how do you motivate them and keep them motivated because you have to retain them because they are, it's quite a, a, a mobile world this and uh, they will just move from one project and if they find something else with a different company that's more exciting they go um, so um, again it, it, it is it is all about creating that reality and, and, and understanding their personal journey that they can't just jump around right and and and, and there's purpose in every type of work that you do, as long as you can explain what that purpose is. So the mundane work, there must be purpose in it, right? It needs to be done. Otherwise, you won't have the exciting work to do. <laughs> um, so it is, again, understanding, I would say, is number one, and uh, be very clear and transparent why it is important. Uh, and the other one is you need to have an innovation program where they can contribute and be part of innovating. Um, new stuff and I think that's 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 why innovation and these innovation hubs are key you know as as a secondary um environment especially you guys with a, as a product company I'm, I'm sure you will be big in innovation hubs and those type of things and, and hopefully they can contribute in that environment but that's that's what we're doing as well so we have a hub where people can even if they're busy with mandate work, they can actually contribute to the innovation hub and be part of separate programs internally. Um, so part of the way this, I think this is a really good question because it, it does actually impact your, not just your ability to um, uh, retain or attract personnel, but ultimately it will reflect back on the, the culture of your organization. So, you know, it does, it, it's a really, it's a kind of niche question, but it's a really good good one in that it spans all, all the pieces. One of the ways that we um, seek to, to, to address this is, um, and, and further to Annie's remark about, yes, the people who you bring into the firm, I mean, some of them are extremely smart. You know, they're very well qualified and they're very smart and they want to innovate. But often what we do is actually take these people and rather than giving them development jobs to start with, we introduce them into the support team to start with. Basically as a training ground, as a learning ground, where they can learn about the products we already have, learn to support those products, and then they can transition from that into an innovation space, as Werner was suggesting, through to being in part of the development team. So that, you know, we, we do have to have level hires into development and, and so forth. That's, that's just part of the world. But that is one of the models that we use because what it, shows the rest of the people and shows people who are coming to the firm is that while you might be starting on the first step there is a place where you know you can you can ascend to doing the things you do but you're providing um in essence you're doing meaningful work 
for clients we care about right from the off. Even if it isn't the sexiest thing under the sun, it's meaningful work that keeps things going. Um, so that's, you know, that's that's really, really, really good. So, um, you know, simple example, we were the people who did the um, integration of the COVID testing data from around Victoria, the 18 laboratories, bringing all to one place so that every morning at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, we, you know, got those total figures. You know, after a while, that wasn't the most complicated thing under the sun, but it was extremely meaningful and people were very willing to be part of that that process and to continue to be part of that process because it was so so meaningful. And as I say, you then move into innovation, then you move into development um, uh, as, as time goes by. Great. Thanks so much, Ian. Uh, Adi, how do you tackle that at Zendesk? Yeah, I, I wanted to add that, you know, uh, I think everything in life is balance. And when when you hire smart people, they're, they're smart enough to understand that they, they'll need to balance their time between innovation, development, and supporting existing products. Uh, supporting product means that we are winning. We're keeping the company, we're keeping this SLAs, SLO, the support level that we're talking about. So it's, 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 it's a lot about education and talking about the, the meaning of support. Um, but if, even though people understand there's the competition, obviously, and there's other challenges outside that people might be attracted to, um, so it is still over there. So I, I think it's about balancing and that's what we try to do. So we try to balance the amount of work that a given employee will devote to support versus uh, development. And it's on a sprint level basis, basically. Uh, it just depends on how the, your company is working, uh, agile or, or other methodologies like waterfall or anything else. Um, so it is something that we do pay attention to. And obviously, you know, uh, the feedback is flowing and um, at Zendesk we do 360 feedbacks. So we get the understanding, we get the, the image, the, the view of the uh, satisfaction level of the employees and we change course when we need to, right? So one example that I can give you and share that um, when we like uh, see that there's uh, employees that are um, not satisfied with their current uh, project or current team, uh, we do encourage people to move between teams and we do offer them the option, the mobility option inside the company, obviously. Uh, so when we encourage something like this, we actually maintain the talents. Um, so retaining the talent is, even though it's not in my org, it's not under my budget per se, uh, the company wins because we, keep the talent, we retain the talent. So that's one of the methods that we internally use, you know, to make sure that uh, people are happy, satisfied, and have a, a very um, cohesive, like, uh, working yeah. environment. Yeah, I can't think of the number of people I have spoken to, Eddie, who, who have shifted career, not because they particularly wanted to leave, leave the organization, but because they wanted to, you know, have a new experience. And they were just simply told, no. All right, we'll go and find it somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, that's, very, that's a good point. I, um, yeah, I think the biggest challenge in my world is actually people that's on the bench, which means they got nothing to do, <laughs> you know, between projects. So that's much more dangerous than actually doing mundane stuff. Because if you do nothing, then, then, then you start to think negatively and then you lose meaning and purpose. So that, that's our biggest challenge. Agreed. On a final note, is there any other questions or points you guys would like to have a chat about before we wrap things up? 
Okay, well, in that case, we will leave it there. I want to thank you all again so much for joining me on today's episode. You provided some really interesting insights on obviously such a relevant topic in the tech market today. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I look forward to catching you all next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Susie. Thanks, Thanks for listening, Susie.